Bishop Sherman S. Watkins is the reason I'm talking to you right now. He's the man who started me on my life's journey that has led me to where I am today. He is, in essence, my spiritual father. This is a conversation between Bishop Watkins and I at my annual Project Gideon Conference. One of my passions right now is trying to bring the generations together. I feel that one of the driving forces behind some of the problems facing our society today is that the older folks have abandoned the younger folks and vice versa. Bishop Watkins could have easily abandoned me. He could have looked at me and said he's worthless, he's not going anywhere, he's not mature, he's not developed, he's not spiritual, he's not holy. He didn't do any of that. He looked past my faults and saw my possibilities and as a result became a mentor that helped to usher me into my destiny. Mentorship is important and can be the deciding factor between a young person achieving greatness and wallowing in mediocrity. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the weekly show and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Music app. You may be seated. Uh, I'm very excited about this uh, session that we're getting ready to go into. Uh, I hope that the Lord will allow us to capture something that is almost impossible to capture. Let me preface by, by saying a lot of the things that I encountered in ministry and in leadership, and particularly with those of you that see me now, you don't uh, know where I came from. I run into people in the airport all the time and say, I've been following your ministry for years. I've been with you since it got started. <laughs> and uh, they, they, I remember when you used to come on saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. No, 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 no. And that wasn't the beginning. <laughs> I had been doing it for years before I got on TV. I got on TV with a nickel and a bag of nails, with about $8,000 in the bank, in the church's account. <laughs> that was the strongest organization in the church's account. I had $8,000 in the bank. I got on TV, didn't own a camera, not one camera. I had one staff member, Beverly Robinson, she's still with me now. And later I hired Silas Wheeler to be my administrator. Uh, we couldn't hire him at first because we didn't have no office for him. Church seats about 200 people over in South Charleston. And I've been pastoring for years before I got to this. And I got on national television. I actually started ministering when I was 19. I started pastoring when I was 22. The gentleman that I'm about to introduce you to was very instrumental, if not solely primarily for me starting to pastor a church. As Soon as I was ordained, they sent me to a place called Montgomery, West Virginia. They gave me the first month's rent and a deposit and recommended me to pastor, and I went up there to pastor. There were no people. <laughs> there were no people yet. There were no fancy pews. I drove up to his church, and we'll, we'll tell you about it when he gets on stage. I was living right, right here, 
Well, it started from the bottom. I can't see whether they put it on the screen yet. Where's it? At? Oh, y'all didn't recognize me? Yeah, I had hair and, and, and robes and stuff like that. But what I was wanting to do, I was living in a house that uh, is on my PowerPoint presentation. I was living in this house. Every time I look at that house, I get nervous. When I first married, my wife, Sarita, we, we lived in that house. We lived in that house. I couldn't get all the utilities on at the same time. That's the house I was working job, trying to maintain. That's the house that when they cut off the gas and they drove down the street, I'd crawl out there in the night with a wrench and turn the gas back on. So we'd have some heat for the kids till they took the meter out. Uh, that's the house that I had to drive a little over an hour, 15 minutes to get to my church. Was about seven people in it. That's, that's the house they came to to take the car. That's the house. So when you say you want to be like me, be sure you spend a few years in that house wrapped up in the coal or boiling water to take a bath. Because if you don't, if you can't do that, you can't live in what I'm living in now. If you can't serve God from there, if you can't pastor and preach faith from there and power and deliverance, uh, that, that house is the house that I used to walk out to the corner to to catch the bus. And I wrote in one of my books about catching the bus to go uptown to tell, to beg the power company not to cut the power off. It was from that house. And the woman told me, said, uh, we can't do nothing for you. And uh, we got to cut it off. And I had a wife and two kids. And I walked down the street crying the kind of crying you never want to do in front of people because I wasn't sure that I was man enough to hold together the family I had. I asked myself the question that is to me the torment of youth, do I have what it takes? And with the gas off and now they're gonna cut the power off, I fell apart and walked down the street wailing walking past people, stumbling past people, ready to quit. And uh, as I was walking down the street, God finally said to me, I will not suffer thy foot to be moved. Mm. i never forget it as long as I live. I wish I could tell you that the next day the power came on, but it didn't or that somebody dropped a check by, but they didn't. All I had was a promise that I was not forgotten. He said, I will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And, but he let my foot hang over that cliff. 
<laughs> a good long time. I didn't fall, but I didn't get off the edge. Okay? So when you turn on the TV and you see all of these crowds and you start talking about the thousands of people jamming to come in to see me, I want you to show that this was before that. That's the church I had in West Virginia. Not the one Bishop sent me to, <laughs> Lord Jesus. <laughs> this was the church I had before I came to Dallas. That church right there, we paid $540,000 for that church. That church right there, when I was trying to get it, four or five banks turned me down before I closed on it. I finally closed on, on it. It used to be a savings and loan, a bank, and I bought it and turned it into a church. I finally closed on it, got it all fixed up, decorated. That church right there is the place uh, that when they put my house on the front page of the paper, that church right there is the place where the racism of West Virginia came out and shot holes, nine millimeter Lugers through that building right there. I had this house, a real nice house. I'd grown in ministry. I was on TV pastoring right there and uh, you didn't see the service because we didn't own the cameras. We only showed me when I preached out because we didn't have no cameras. But that church right there is the place they shot out the windows and my brother hid on the rooftop trying to stop him from stealing out the building. That church right there still got the holes in the windows where they shot us. That church right there is the church they threw a wooden log through the back of the building, burst the glass and threatened to kill me. I was living in a house they wrote, nigga go home all over it. My mother had to stop taking walks and, and my kids were afraid to go to school. That church right there is where I was preaching when you heard, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I was preaching through the bullets of what it caused me to be a leader. That church right there. <laughs> that church right there is nice. That's as high as I climbed before I left Charleston. I went from that church right there to the Potter's house. That church right there will seat 700 people in the sanctuary and 100 in overflow. That church right there, I know where every nail, every box, every board is in that building, that church right there. I was recently in West Virginia, it looks just like it did. That my office looks like I just walked out of it. My name is still on the window, that church right there. That church right there was where I was pastoring when I negotiated the deal on the, on the Potter's house in Dallas. That church right there is where I had grown from Beverly and Silas to 50 employees. That church right there is where I was pastoring when I spoke for Carlton Pearson at Azusa. That church right there is the church where our tape ministry was born from. That church right there is where we started duplicating and processing tapes and developed 50 employees that worked for me in that church right there before I came to Dallas. That's who I brought with me was the 50 employees from that church right there. Well, let me show you the one before that. This, this, this is getting down to where he cut me from. 
go to it was this. It was this right, that church right there at Smithers, West Virginia. It's a step up from Montgomery. I'd show you the church in Montgomery, it's gone. That church right there, I paid $36,000 for it. It had been condemned. Nobody was in it for 20 some years. I drove past it one night, taking one of the members home and uh, saw the building and thought it was wonderful. I thought, oh my God, this would make a great church. I didn't have a key, but the door was hanging off the hinges, so I just slid it back and I went in. <laughs> and I walked in that building, there was a tree growing up in it and there were rats in it and, and the ceiling, big gaps of ceiling hanging off. And I was young and crazy. And I said, oh my God, this looks wonderful. So I went back and I told the church I'd found the, the new church. We was gonna leave Montgomery, we was going to Smithers. I brought them over there to show them the building. I never will forget it as long as I live. I had a member named Kathy Woods that when I brought them in the building, she started gagging and threw up. <laughs> I didn't know what was wrong with her because I was running through the building showing them where the pulpit was gonna be. I said, I think I can put the pulpit right here and the choir stand to be right here like that. And, and if we come up the side here, the steps, I think we could get a balcony out about right here. And I start running up the steps and fell through the balcony all the way up here. And here's the funny part. When I fell through the steps, I mean, when I fell through the steps, my legs were still running. <laughs> I, I didn't care about falling. I didn't care about the rats. I didn't care about the smell. I didn't care about why that girl was throwing up. I don't know why she was throwing up because what's wrong with her? This is gonna be amazing. I was so shocked when she started gagging and they wasn't happy because that church right there is where he taught me faith. That church right there is where he taught me to believe him. That church right there is where he taught me to see the impossible. That church right there is still open. It's still running. It's still going. I put a roof in it, got a floor in it. That church right there is where the boy became the man. That, that church right there was my training ground. See, our generation was builders. We took nothing and nobody and no help and we did what we did. So when you came along and you say you can't do it because we didn't give you stuff, we don't understand it. It's not that we're mean, we don't understand it because we gave you more than we got. We sold ribs and chicken and fish and potato salad and made it do what it do till we got where we were trying to go. And you want checks and money and help and support and to underwrite the budget. What I'm trying to get you to understand is it's not the destination that makes you. It's not the potter's house that made me. That church right there. <laughs> that's, that's what made Mr. Jakes, that's what made a man. Uh, that church right there 
I sat at the table and did the accounting to get the bank to loan me the $36,000 to buy that church right there and got enough money to get in the building. And my spiritual father, who's going to come up here in a minute, drove by in a red Cadillac with his brother Wilbert to visit me. And I was in there working in that church. I worked for Union Carbide. I had my own job and I was doing the pastor in the church on the side. And I was showing him around how nice it was going to be. And he said, uh, <laughs> he understood the struggle because he got a story too. Now that part didn't throw him about the struggle at all. He said, what you going to do for the heat? <laughs> it's December. I said, well, I said, we got this cook stove back in the back, and if we turn it up real high and leave it on all night, it's going to be hot enough. Time everybody get in here and get to clapping. They'll be all right. <laughs> See, I want you to understand what I mean by relentless, because I think we have a communication barrier that you don't get what I mean when I say relentless. I don't think you understand what I saw that made my feet keep running when my body fell through the floor. I was happy about that church right there. And I wasn't gonna let no cold weather stop me from opening up that service. I'm gonna have that dedication service and I invited all these churches to come and they come down when we get to shouting, it's gonna heat up. Cause I'm gonna pass to that church right there. And he knew I was a fool. So he went out to the car <laughs> and he wrote a check. I believe it was $1,500 because he asked me how much would it take to get central heat. Well, my brother worked for the gas company. I said, like, we can get a central heater wholesale for $1,500. I didn't have $1,500. And he went out there and wrote a check and bought my central heater so that I could have heat in that building. I purpose I would pay him back. And I sent him $100 a month till I paid him back. Relationships are built on integrity and honor. I want you to meet my spiritual father. He taught me things I cannot explain to you because we did not pick our fathers the way you do today. We did not pick our fathers by the size of their television ministry. We picked our fathers by the size of their hearts. He taught me how to stay married. He taught me how to not give up on my kids. I went to run revival for him and I was the evangelist and I walked in his bedroom and he was on his knees praying and he when he was young he prayed with he put his Bible on the bed his Bible would be on the bed like this and he'd be on his knees like this and the Bible would be open and he was in front of it praying now I was the preacher he was praying I was eating he taught me how to pray you understand what I'm talking about I watched him endure stuff. I watched him bury people. 
I watched him go through changes. I watched him go through crisis. I watched him go through stuff where I thought, surely you wouldn't take this. He taught me how to endure. When I grew up, I stayed. I never left. I never left him. I never will. Come on up, Dr. Sherman Watkins. We have never done this before, so I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know how much of my business he's gonna tell. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Let me tell this part. I'm gonna tell this part, and then you can tell whatever you want to tell. I have known Bishop Watkins since I was 16 years old. When I met Bishop Watkins, he would have been your age. If I was 16, you were 37. In Portsmouth, Ohio, you preached a message, seven shells of faith. And I was sitting out in the crowd and you were preaching that message. At 19, you gave me the charge to go in the ministry and gave the examination. At 22, you recommended me to go to Montgomery to preach. What was that like for you back then? Well, first of all, I, I looked at him and I look at people today and I listen to them and I listen to how people will come up and ask you to be their father. Mm-hmm. And I would say to them, I possibly could be your father, but that's not the problem. The problem is, could you be a son? You see, and, 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 and that's why when you see him, it was something about the presence of God. And I, and I know we just finished a wonderful business session. Mm-hmm. And I'm not particularly broke. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I just want you to know I'm not bragging, but, you know, so my, my foundation prepared me to be able to choose a son that would have the anointing flowing and not to have the sons to pick me. He never have 
asked me to be his father. <laughs> I watched him. You see, when you pray, and, and, and I know this why I talked about the business part, because this would be totally different. <laughs> when you pray, when you have a prayer life, in my age, I could never be ashamed of who I am. I'm rooted from prayer and a godly life. When I saw him, the Bible talks about the spirit of the Lord is up on me. And when I saw him, he said to me, God revealed to me, arise and shine for the light has come. And when I saw him, I saw something in him, but I never saw this. I won't be deceitful. (laughs) I didn't see this, but you see, before you can do anything for anybody in sincerity, you have to first see where you are depositing. And I was not about to deposit anything into someone that was going to abuse it. He would be at every recession with that black suit. (laughs) And it's the truth, a pink shirt, black and pink bow tie. I used to wonder how did he get it clean every day because it would be starchy. And so I, I finally found out that he would iron it. You know, he would wash it and he would iron it. And everybody, all the rest of the young people his age that wanted me to be their father would be out someplace, out in the lobby and all someplace at the convention. He would be sitting there, and, and God knows this is the truth. He would be sitting there watching every move. The only young person sitting up in the convention in the day sessions because you know you didn't have the choir going on and all like that and he would be listening you know and he would get up and I remember you might not remember this but one session you got up and you asked a question and I thought now who is this little joker here (laughs) and when I answered him he said um, and I thought he was going to sit down because I didn't want to be bothered with it you know Because there was no benefit in him. You know, there was no, I, I was trying to get, receive, get pastors and stuff. And there was no real benefit in him. And so he told me, he held his hand up. He said, um, I saw it and act like I didn't see it. You know what I said? <laughs> because he had already asked a question, you know, and he was getting worse. I mean, <laughs> I said, I said, yes. I said, yes, son. I said, go ahead on. He said, he said, I don't understand what you're saying. And I thought, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and I told him again, you know, what I was saying and all like that. And I brushed him off, you know. And the next session, I'm thinking, I hope that boy don't come. <laughs> and who's come with this black suit and this pink shirt and this black and pink bow tie? I was matching, though. I was matching. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, 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 he had something, and this is the truth, and this is how 
You know, there's one thing about being a mentor that I think is so important is that you have to be somebody that people see, but you have to live so that what they see is something that they want to watch. People will change the channel unless it's something that they want to really see. There has to be something in you that they see as well as what you see, and it goes both ways. And I saw something in him that was excellent. It was something that, that I could see that God was going to do, but again, nothing like this. So when he first preached, well, he would tell a story. He had a good voice. He didn't have no message. <laughs> Telling the truth, you know. Yeah. He he and he he could take he could take a story. When I watched him, he would take a story. Well, now you know I was pretty deep, you know. And I couldn't understand as much as I prayed, and as much as I studied, and as much golden nuggets that I was getting. How he could get up and talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And he would just go, get ready, get ready, get ready. And everybody would get to shout, and I thought, well, this is unfair. <laughs> I, I, but you see, what, what, what you learn is that there is something about the anointing that works in different ways. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a good preacher to be a good pastor. But it was That's something true. about it. I mean, he, he could That's preach. True. Now, he could wreck. He, he come to my church, <laughs> and he preached with that towel around his neck. Yes, Lord. And, yes, and, Lord. And, and, and jerry curls. Yes, Lord. And I was, at that time, you know, I was just... Strict, really strict. Oh, God, strict. <laughs> Holiness of hell. <laughs> but see, just the very idea that he would be there running a revival let you know that there was something else in him. He preached so until people was coming from every place. And I was going to talk to him and tell him to take the tail off, you know. It don't, you know, it just don't look good. You know, you know what I mean? Because I'm trying to help him, you know. And I, and I, and I, I was intending to talk to him. And then, you know, I, I, I got busy. Somebody didn't get a chance to talk to him. So the next night, it was crowded again. And the next night, it was crowded, and I thought, I said, well, I think I'm going to leave that towel alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He preached so until um, I kept him over. I kept him over. And it was the best revival for God and for the people. It was the worst revival for me. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you why. It's because after church, when everybody is supposed to be cutting the lights off going home, he would have a prayer line in the lobby. 
praying for people in the lobby and they slaying. Let's see, just knocking them out. They just slaying in the spirit. <laughs> Back by the bathroom, so I tried to be humble, and so I stayed. And after a while, I went out there. I said, um, <laughs> I said, baby, uh, he was sweating, sweaty everywhere. And Jerry Curl, that grease was coming. No. <laughs> and so I said, baby, I, I was trying to get him, and he going to sick him or something. <laughs> you just are speaking that And I, I said, yeah. That's the guy right there. <laughs> and I was, I was short, you know, and he was tall, and I couldn't. <laughs> I, I just started beating him in the back. I said, I said, it's time to go home. <laughs> but you, you would have to see him and you would have to see the glory, the glory of God upon his life. I'm telling you, I mean, I mean, I know glory when I see it. Oh, don't, don't fool with me now. I know glory. No, no, no. I'm surrounded by glory. I know what glory is, and I know when I see it. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I, 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 and I could see it on him, I, but I had to deal with the details of it. <laughs> you see, and that's the difference. But see, that's why not can I be a father. It's easy to be a father. All you have to do is plant a seed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. But the idea is the seed that you plant. Can you be a son? And you don't find too many people want to be a son. But everybody is looking for a father. Hey, everybody. Benyam Tespai here, head of digital for TD Jakes Enterprises. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. As we conclude part one, I encourage you to come back next week for part two of this very riveting, candid, and oftentimes hilarious conversation between Bishop Jakes and Bishop Sherman Watkins. One of my favorite parts of next week's episode is when Bishop Jakes breaks down the fundamentals of his relationship with Bishop Watkins by comparing it to an investment strategy, something that we can all relate to. To quote, he says, Until you learn to be loyal to the people that God gives you in your life, You're not a safe place for an investment. How can we make a deposit when there is no trust? End quote. It got me thinking about the way we interact with each other and how our relationships are, in a sense, forms of social investment. And to invest into something means you ought to understand it so that you can ultimately trust it. Anyway, this hour-long conversation had me deep in introspection. As you're listening, engage with us and others on the T.D. Jakes Public Figure Facebook page or on Instagram at TDJ Enterprises. Make sure you use the hashtag TDJakesPodcast. See you next week.